My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we journey through the Word of God, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we continue this journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through to the end of the chapter, verse 30. And it's a story that we have most often heard. Uh, it's the, the, the story that is known as the rich young ruler, uh, although this is Matthew's account of that particular story. And it is something that is uh, amazing about Jesus and his teaching on riches and his teaching on what it means to gain eternal life. So let's start at verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Yeah. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, um, <laughs> this what good thing do I have to do? This question tells you everything you need to know about this man. Like all people, by nature, he an orient orientation towards how do I earn eternal life? What do I have to do? He wanted to know what good work, what noble deed he could do to inherit eternal life. Now, all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, tell us that this man was rich. Uh, the, the, th the three synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's what they're known as, the synoptic Gospels, because they, can, they contain the similar stories, synopsis, uh, and Matthew... Uh, Mark and Luke are different than the Gospel of John. There are some things that are in all four Gospels, but the Gospel of John uh, contains a lot more about the divinity of Jesus. But in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, we are told that this man was rich. Matthew tells us that he was young, and Luke tells us that he was a ruler. So that's how we know who he is. And he, he says, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, Jesus didn't deny his own goodness, but he was asking the man, do you understand what you are saying when you call me good? I don't think you understand. Spurgeon, it was as if Jesus said, you come to me asking about what good thing you can do to inherit eternal life. What do you really know about goodness? The argument is clear. Either Jesus was good or he ought not to have called him good. But as there is none good but God, Jesus, who is good, must be God. So part of Jesus' deity and, and claiming to be part of the Trinity. If you want to enter into a life, keep the commandments. Jesus' answer to the man's question was very straightforward. If you want to gain eternal life by your doing, you've got to keep the commandments, all of them. And then keep them full of sense, which no man can do. The whole point of Romans, Hebrews, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, all those uh, books of the Bible were about, it's impossible to keep every part of the law. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law, because no man could do it. 
So Jesus says to this man, oh, you want it? You want to know how you can earn it? The only way to earn it, keep every part of the law. So then he says, okay, now Jesus says, well, if, if that's the way it, it needs to happen, then I need to make sure that you understand what the law is all about. So Matthew 18, uh, 19, verse 18. So he said to him, uh, oh, which commandments? Which ones? And Jesus said, well, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbour as yourself. <laughs> and the young man said to him, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? <laughs> now, it's a very fair question to ask. Uh, really? Did he really keep all these since his, since his youth? Yeah. Uh, it's likely that he maybe kept them in a way that made him righteous in the eyes of men, in the sense that Paul could say uh, in Philippians 3, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Uh, but he certainly didn't keep them in the full and perfect sense, which Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's very interesting to note that in Mark 10, verse 21, tells us that in response to the man's answer, Jesus loved him. Jesus had compassion on this man. He was so misguided as to think that he could justify himself before God. So he says, what do I still lack? This alone tells us that the man had not perfectly kept the law because he still knew that there was something missing in his life, prompting the question, what do I still lack? There was still something lacking in his life, reflecting something missing in his relationship with God. Then Jesus tests him by the aspects of the Mosaic law which deal with man's relationship to God. So this is why he goes on to talk about, what do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The call to forsake everything and to follow Jesus is a call to put God first in absolutely everything. And it's, it's full obedience to the first table of the law, which dealt with man's relationship to God. Now, Guzik said this, we may make two mistakes here. The one is to believe this applies to everyone when Jesus never made this a general command, in other words, to sell all, okay? This is talking about uh, if you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have. There's two mistakes that are made about that. One is to believe it applies to everyone when Jesus never made this a general commandment to all who would follow him, but especially to this one rich man whose riches were clearly an obstacle to his discipleship. Instead, many rich people can do more good in the world by continuing to make money and using those resources for the glory of God and for the good of others. The second mistake is to believe this applies to no one. When there are clearly those today for whom the best thing they could do for themselves spiritually is to radically forsake the materialism that is ruining them. But we notice that Jesus simply called this man to be his disciple and he said, follow me. He used similar language when he called the disciples in Matthew 4, Matthew 8, Mark 2. Jesus simply called this man to be his follower. But for this man, it meant leaving behind the riches, and that's where his heart was, was set upon riches. 
So he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So the wealthy questioner fails utterly. Money was his God. He actually was guilty of idolatry. One of the commandments, you shall have no other gods. This is why Jesus, knowing the man's heart, asked him to renounce his possessions because he knew it was a God. Spurgeon, he would be saved by works, yet he would not carry out his works to the full of the law's demand. He loved not his poor brother as himself. He loved not God in Jesus Christ with all his heart and soul. So the principle remains. God may challenge and require an individual to give something up for the sake of his kingdom that he still allows someone else to keep. There are many perish because they will not forsake what God tells them to forsake. That's why, again, you can't say if God asks you to give up something but he doesn't ask somebody else to do it, well, that's not fair. Remember, when it comes to fairness, it wasn't fair for Jesus to die on a cross. But he did it for you and for I. God knows what things are idols in our lives. Sometimes... He knows that those things, he needs to ask us to lay them down. So this young man gets sorrowful, Adam Clark. And what were these possessions in comparison of peace of conscience and mental rest? Besides, he had unequivocal proof that these contributed nothing to his comfort, for he is now miserable even while he possesses them. And so will every soul who puts Worldly goods in the place of the supreme God. So then we go on to verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Assuredly, I say to you, we should not diminish the strength of Jesus' words here, nor fail to see their application to our own affluent society that we live in. Who among us would be considered the same as the rich young ruler today? There are a lot of people who have material possessions, more than they need. So Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Riches, he didn't say it's impossible. He said it's hard. Riches are, are a problem because they, they, they make us satisfied with this life. Well, what more do I need? So instead of longing for the age to come and spending eternity with God, I'd rather just stay here, enjoy this. Sometimes riches are sought at the expense of seeking God. Well, I'm going to chase after riches. Once I've found those, then I might think about whether I want to seek after God. And the illustration that Jesus used, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, has been talked about for many, many years, thousands of years, since Jesus said it. What did he mean by that? What Jesus meant was that it's very difficult to get a very large object like a camel through a very small opening like the eye of a needle. 
No matter what your definition of a camel, no matter what your definition of the eye of the needle. Big object, little opening. Somebody with a lot of wealth, big object, little opening, getting into the kingdom of heaven. That's all. That's what Jesus was saying. That's the illustration. And the disciples are extremely and exceedingly amazed. And the great amazement of them was based on the assumption that riches were always a sign of God's blessing and honour. So now he's telling them, listen, people that you thought were blessed and worthy of honour, they're going to find it harder to get into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they've got gods in their material wealth. The disciples had probably hoped that following Jesus would have actually made them rich. They were probably, I don't know, but they would have maybe thought that being a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, the, the one who's going to come and establish his kingdom, means that they'd have influential positions and maybe wealth. Maybe they'd be prominent leaders in his messianic government. R.T. France, in a culture where wealth was regarded as a sign of God's blessing and where a religious teacher was therefore expected to at least be moderately wealthy, the lifestyle of Jesus and his disciples was conspicuously different. And then Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. It's possible for the rich man to be saved and enter into the kingdom of heaven. God's grace is enough to save the rich man. But, I mean, think about the the number of rich men in the Bible. Uh, Zacchaeus. Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, they were all rich men. And they were all rich men who were able to put God first. And they didn't put their riches first. D.A. Carson, Jesus is not saying that all poor people and none of the wealthy will enter the kingdom of heaven. That would exclude Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to say nothing of David, Solomon and Joseph of Arimathea. So then, here comes Peter again you got to love Peter. Here he goes. It's just like every time Peter enters a conversation, you kind of go, oh, no, what's he going to say now? Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. In contrast to the rich young ruler, The disciples did leave all to go and follow Jesus. So what would be their reward? Jesus tells of a very special honour for the disciples. You have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The disciples have a special role in the future judgment of Israel. As well, the apostles had the honour of helping provide a singular foundation for the church. Ephesians 2.20, that was the, what the, what reward do you get? You get to be the, the foundations of the church. You're starting the church. Revelation 21 verse 14 tells, says that there's going to be a special tribute in the New Jerusalem to the disciples. Spurgeon said this, What Peter said was true, but it was not wisely spoken. It had a selfish, grasping look. After all, What have any of us to lose for Jesus compared with what we gain by him?
So Jesus says, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, there will be universal honour for all who have sacrificed for Jesus' sake. Whatever has been given up for him, we returned a hundred times over in addition to everlasting life. A hundredfold. It's not obviously in a literal material sense. Jesus is going to do way more than make up for what we have given up for his sake. But the return will be spiritual, not material. A hundredfold certainly is literally true in the spiritual sense. Matthew Poole describes some of the ways that we get our hundredfold. We get our hundredfold joy in the Holy Ghost, peace of conscience and the sense of God's love. We get it through contentment. We will have a contented frame of mind. God will stir up the hearts of others to supply their wants and that supply shall be sweeter to them than their abundance ever was. God sometimes repays them in this life as he restored Job after his trial to greater riches. The principle stands. God will be a debtor to no man. It's impossible for us to give more to God than he gives back to us. So then we get to these last words of Jesus. But many who are first will be last and the last first. In the previous words, Jesus has promised those who sacrifice for his sake and for the sake of the kingdom would be rewarded. Then he said that though they would be rewarded, it would be different than man usually expects because it will usually be that they, the first will be first and the last will be last. And the parable in the following chapter, in, verse, in chapter 20, is going to illustrate this principle. Barclay. Jesus lays it down that there will be surprises in the final assessment. It may be that those who were humble on earth will be great in heaven and that those who were great in this world will be humbled in the world to come. Spurgeon. You remember the old Romish legend which contains a great truth. There was a brother who preached very mightily and who had won many souls to Christ. And it was revealed to him one night in a dream that in heaven he would have no reward for all that he had done. And he asked to whom the reward would go. And an angel told him that it would go to an old man who used to sit on the pulpit stairs and pray for him. Well, it may be so, though it is more likely that both would share in their master's praise. We shall not be rewarded, however, simply according to our apparent success. First will be last, the last will be first. Chapter 20 is going to help us explain that even more. But our observation today is that it's not easy to enter the kingdom of heaven when you have other gods, no matter what they are. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word revealed through Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray, Lord, that anybody watching this today who has idols in their life, whether it be money, finances, or things that they just cannot give up, they're things that you've asked them to lay down, they just can't do it. I pray that you would give them the, the strength, courage, and ability to lay those things down now, God, so that they can enter into your kingdom, so that those things don't prevent them from having an eternal relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.